today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, baggage fees are going up at American and United Airlines, and American Queen Voyages goes out of business. Those stories and more next in the news. In our Smarter Traveler segment at 1120, we talk about new restaurant technology, which allows the server to be standing over the top of you while you decide what gratuity button to push on the machine. Well, I don't know about you, Mark, but that makes me a little more than uncomfortable. You are not alone in that opinion, my friend, I assure you. At 11.35, we discuss carry-on bags on flights. Are the airlines lying to you about available space on board just to get you to check your bag? Why don't airlines enforce carry-on rules across the system? At 11.45 in our mailbag segment, we answer your questions on Frontier Airlines customer service, fees at state parks, and parking changes at hotels. Whether you are listening to us live or by podcast, thank you for the privilege of your time. We'll do our best to make it worthwhile. Welcome to the latest edition of The Travel Guys. On the road again. Welcome, welcome everyone to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano with you. Thanks for coming along. Well, last week, if you happen to be tuned in, you heard us talk about the fact that Mark was going to be heading off to Hawaii with a group of Sports Leisure Vacation travelers. And that is the fact. He is gone. He is there. He is there now. Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how it is in Kauai. i gotta be got to be nice. Yeah, it is. It's Hawaii, so it's almost always nice. And for the first time ever, we have dedicated a trip across the ocean to the islands, spending a week on just one island and then coming home. So, And Kauai is the smallest island of all the major islands here uh, in Hawaii. And it only, if those of you who have been here know, it only has one road. The road doesn't go all the way around the island because of the sheer cliffs on the west side of the island but north east and uh, south there is just the one road so traffic is a little bit of a factor here but uh Kauai is just has always been one of my favorites in the islands along with the big island and the people here are so friendly we are staying in a hotel i want to tell our listeners a little something about you know hotel prices have gone bananas uh prices in hawaii were not always cheap to start with um, and they certainly are if not cheap now. Um, you're going to pay upwards of $400 to stay in a hotel that is has a name brand and whose doors lock and windows close. Mm-hmm. Um, we are staying here at a place called Kauai Shores. It's kind of a boutique. It's an older property. They have gone through and redone all of the rooms and even included some fairly modern technological things um, in the room, some some conveniences you wouldn't find most places. Um, the f- rooms are very nice. It still looks like an older property, but the people are incredibly friendly. 
Um, I'm paying a group rate here, which is a little bit lower than you would pay if you went online. But I think you can get this hotel for a little under $300 plus tax. And it's real close to the Coconut Marketplace. In fact, it's like a city block walk away, which offers three or four or five or six restaurants and shops and uh, a a good grocery slash drugstore. There's a beautiful restaurant called Lava Lava Beach Club here on property. So I just wanted to give a little plug for this place because I'm not sure if you didn't know about it. You wouldn't know about it. And it's uh, on the Kapa'a Luhui side of uh, between those two cities here on the east side of the island. And if you're coming here, you might want to um, check it out. If you have a favorite place to stay, maybe wander over here at some point in time and have a cocktail or have a meal. Or they're just nice people. They didn't pay me for this announcement, but uh, they've been so nice here. I thought I would share it with the folks at home. Yeah, that's nice. Now, Kauai, is, is that referred to as the Garden Island? It is. It is. And uh, when uh, we are done with this radio program today, we'll be heading down to uh, the Smith's Fern Grotto Cruises. If you've ever been to Kauai, you you know about the Fern Grotto Cruise. It's probably the most touristy thing that you can do here. But it's also very beautiful in the grotto. And so um, sometimes you do touristy things because they're good things to do. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to a luau this evening that the – Smith family puts on, and they just do a, a really terrific job. And of course, uh, luau's are up in the neighborhood of 150 bucks, 125 to 150 bucks a person now. Um, entertainment and a meal, a nice meal generally, and uses oftentimes some other little activities to go with it. So this, I, I've always liked Kauai. We we dined at the Wrangler Steakhouse the other night in Waimea. Uh, went to a culinary market where they had wonderful samples of white pineapple. If you've never had white pineapple, it's uh, a pineapple that doesn't have as much acidity as regular pineapple. Mm. And man, is it amazing. And we've been to a botanical garden. We had lunch at the Weston in Princeville yesterday. Uh, went and saw where Puff the Magic Dragon used to live in the land of Hanalee. Um, Hanalei in the song, but Hanalei in, in Hawaiian. So it's a cool place. And if you've been to Hawaii and you've never come to Kauai, um, I, I, I think it's worth a visit. Things go slow in Hawaii. They go even a little slower here. So, But it's a great place, and the scenery is wonderful. And so put it on your list. Awesome, awesome. We'll talk more about that next week when you get back. All right. At the top of every Travel Guys radio program, we bring you up to date on what's been going on in the past week on the travel news. And with the, today's travel news directly from Kauai. Hawaii, here's Mark. Yeah, you know, they play that disclaimer on our program, Tom. It says parts of today's program may have been pre-recorded. Um, so... Um, here we are on Kauai. You got the guy from Kauai and the travel one travel guy in Sacramento and one in the islands. All right, let's talk a little bit about the travel news. Let's start off with the bad news first. United and American Airlines last week both announced that they are raising checked baggage fees. Delta has not announced that yet. Want to bet me 50 cents, Tom, that Delta jumps on this next week? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't want to lose my 50 cents. Yeah, once one of them gives the uh, permission to go ahead. So um, for United, check bags are going to be $35 for the first bag in advance, $40 at the airport, um, $45, and $50 for a a second bag. Um, American is doing kind of a similar thing with, with their baggage, although they are actually dropping the fee 
on uh, bags that are over, seriously overweight. So bags that are between 50 and 70 pounds right now cost you an extra $100. Now they will only cost you $30. So if you're a person who travels slightly with, with slightly more luggage and that second bag is a little bit overweight, you get a little bit of a break. Anyway, I don't mean to confuse people, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, American and United have both raised their checked bag fees. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about overhead bags a little bit later on in the program. It strikes me the airlines have a problem with overhead bags. What they have done now is exasperate the problem because you raise the fees, you're giving people an incentive to haul everything they can on board the plane and save that 40 or 50 bucks, um, which each way adds up to 80 or 100 bucks. So mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a weird system that the airlines have here. I, I'd love to get somebody to explain it to me someday. But anyway, American United are raising their baggage fees on tickets uh, bought uh, after, uh, let's see, United's is after the 24th of this month. Americans does not give us a date. So if you've already got an American ticket, it's possible that you may not be subject to these fees. But if you're buying one, that you that you will be. American has also announced some changes. If you are a travel agency um, and you don't book a certain percentage of your tickets through American Airlines of all of the tickets you sell, the tickets you sell will not be eligible for frequent flyer miles, which is going to be a big issue with people. Um, Americans basically saying, if you're not loyal to us, then we're not loyal to your customers. Or the other thing is get your customers to book directly with us online, which, of course, eliminates the agency. This is a story that will be interesting to watch because I don't think travel agencies are going to be real thrilled about this. Um, My guess is that people like booking and Travelocity and stuff will figure out a workaround or cut a deal with the airlines that because how can you possibly it starts out at 30 percent, then it goes to 50 and 70 percent after later on in the calendar. How could a travel agency possibly sell 50 percent of their tickets on American in order to qualify and then sell assuming other airlines do the same thing, then sell 50 percent of their tickets on United then sell 50% of their tickets on Delta, um, it seems to me as though that would be over 100%. Mm-hmm. And we're not counting Southwest or any international flights on other carriers or anything. So American is is kind of putting their foot out there and saying to travel agents, you know, we're drawing a line in the sand. If you're not loyal to us, your customers are going to feel the pain. And I suspect that will immediately reflect on the agency. So we'll see what happens in the, the weeks to come on that particular story. Um, United Airlines, while we're talking about airlines here, had a plane that was forced to divert after a bomb threat this week. A um, couple of days ago, uh, it was a flight from uh, Newark Liberty International Airport uh, to Los Angeles. They stopped in Chicago after the bomb threat. Apparently, it was written in lipstick on the mirror on the plane. Um, I will suggest the person who did that is not too smart because... If it was done after the plane was boarded, which hypothetically the plane's lavatories are cleaned and somebody would have noticed the bomb threat on the – one of the cleaners would have probably noticed that. So therefore, that kind of tells them that uh, the person who did that and caused the plane to have to divert was probably on the airplane. Um, Hmm. It it landed in Chicago, was surrounded by black vans. Um, People had to leave the plane without any of their personal – 
belongings at the time, even their carry-on stuff. United said the flight resumed its trip to Los Angeles later Wednesday afternoon. Yipers. I um, should say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just yipers. You're on an airplane and suddenly uh, things are going all bad really, really quickly. Um, yikes. I, I just, that doesn't... And this raising of the baggage fees, I, I that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. We'll double back to that later. We've talked on this program the last few weeks about a river cruise line that maybe was, we were speculating, might have been in financial trouble. Turns out we were right. American Queen Voyages uh, ceased business operations uh, this past week, notified their employees they were being laid off. They have put the company up for sale with the parent Hornblower Group. Um, getting a new majority um, owner, so they they're already um, trying to scramble this this a press announcement here for people who are listening who have scheduled an American uh, Queen voyage this year and have already paid some money on it. Um, they say here that this was a voluntary Chapter Eleven, and the company said it intends to refund passengers for canceled cruises. However, when you do the math with what their money they owe and the money they have. There's a pretty big gap there. So it's possible that you'll get refunded if they find a buyer, and it's possible it might get more complicated if they don't. So if you have a voyage booked with American Queen Voyages for this year, River Cruise Company, um, stand by for a few weeks while they sort this out because um, they know they owe you money. Um, the other problem is that we've found, Tom, is that they own they owe a lot of money to vendors Along the routes, you know, people who provide the shore excursions, right. and people who bring uh, things to the ship like food and uh, all of that kind of jazz. So uh, this is a this is a fairly complicated situation and it may not sort itself out quickly. Uh, it, ironically, a couple comments online from travelers were, well, uh, you know, other cruise lines in the country charge a lot more money than this one does for similar type product. And, well, that may be your answer right there. Perhaps these guys were not charging enough. It's really sad because um, American Queen, which, of course, the Delta Queen, uh, our own Delta Queen, was once a part of. Um, this was a this is a storied cruise line on the Mississippi and other rivers, and it would be a shame to see it disappear. But you know what? Um, if you can't pay your bills, as we suspected, they couldn't. So um, good luck to folks who have money coming from them. I hope you get it all back um, at Sports Leisure Vacations. We feel like we dodged a bullet. Um, the year's most visited National Park Service sites. Um, this last year, the National Park Service set an all-time record. Approximately 325 million people visited a National Park Service site. Um, there are 400 of them across the country. That's an increase of... Four percent over 2022, and real close to their record, their pre-COVID record of 331 million. So, if you thought that national park sites were crowded last year when you visited them from the islands here all the way to Washington D.C., you were correct. They had, they are crowded. Wow, Air Canada yeah. was in the news this week. Um, they had this is really interesting story, Tom. Um, they had a a a chat bot which misinterpreted one of their rules. On Air Canada, they allow you to request a, uh, a lower fare, uh, to get part of your fare refunded if you're traveling um, for, a, for a funeral. 
or uh, some type of related thing like that. Mm -hmm. And the chat bot told the gentleman online that to buy the ticket and then to submit his request for refund after he traveled. Well, turns out that Air Canada's policy is those refunds, partial refunds on tickets, um, are only available if you make the request at the time that you're being ticketed. So the, the so the chat bot is telling the gentleman one thing, and he follows its instructions and goes ahead and buys a ticket for about $1,200, submits his request, and finds out from Air Canada, says, well, I'm sorry, but you know our policy is you have to submit this request before you leave. Yeah. And so the gentleman took them to court, and he won. Um, Air Canada said that the chatbot is um, a separate legal entity, and the airline shouldn't be liable for the information the chatbot provides. Um, Air Canada also contended that the gentleman could have found the airline's bereavement policy by further scanning its website. Um, the airline was not successful. In the court case, the gentleman uh, is getting a $600 refund. Air Canada says they are going to abide by the decision. But isn't that interesting, Tom, that they're trying to get travelers to use more of these automated systems. An automated system makes a mistake, which either had to be programmed by the airline or interpreted by the by the chatbot. And then the airline says, hey, we don't have anything to do with that. Oh, man. Um yeah, <laughs> that's all wrong. That that's just, for sure. It something seems a little bit off there. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I I I yeah, I I don't. Uh, but anyway, the courts in Canada said, no, not so much. Um, you will have to give this man um, his reduced airfare because it's you who made the mistake and you own the chat bot. And so there you go. And that's all of your chat bot travel news for today. All right, and we are the Travel Guys, Tom and Mark. Hey, look, you know, I'll tell you the one thing that Kauai doesn't have, they probably should, and that would be a, a Rudy's Hideaway Lobster House. By the way, the Travel Guys special for a six-ounce lobster tail dinner for twenty nine ninety five is ongoing. So stop into Rudy's and ask for it, the Travel Guys special. Uh, and then every Monday, uh, Rudy's Hideaway is offering a, a two-for-sixty-five-dollar dinner special. This is a great op- offer, too. The options are pretty pretty good. And choices include lobster tail, prime rib, filet uh, bourguignon, uh, let's see, chicken marsala or golden fried prawns. And that, once again, includes uh, an entree, including Boston clam chowder, baked potato, veggies, and San Francisco sourdough. And don't forget now, uh, the Travel Guy special, ask for it, six-ounce lobster tail, and that is every night at Rudy's Hideaway off of Highway 50 in Hazel. Mark and Tom, the travel and entertainment guys here, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Thanks for coming along. Mark, let's jump right into it. Uh, you're at a restaurant, you're finishing a nice meal, and it's time to pay up, and it's time to make the tip. There's a particular portion of that that has gotten your goat, so to speak. Yeah, it has. I mean, many times in a restaurant, you're given the bill, and when you're if you pay the bill at the counter... You are then, you know, they flip the screen around and and give you the chance to add the gratuity, but the server's not standing there. In this case, a new company called Toast, um, and their their sales are skyrocketing. So if you haven't seen this yet, you're going to see it very soon. The server brings their, you know, what looks like an oversized cell phone to the table. Um, It has calculated what your bill is. The server closes it out and then hands it to you. 
for you to push a button and the gratuity. Generally, it's 15, 20, 25 custom tip or no tip. Um, sometimes they start at 20%, 25, 30, depending on the restaurant. Um, this makes me feel like that um, with the server standing there looking at me and I have to hand the thing right back to them, they instantaneously know what I've tipped as opposed to leaving it and, and leaving the, the, the restaurant, whereas you've left it on the table or something like that, or you've added it at the, at the counter. Uh, to me, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. I'm a good tipper. Um, I've kind of grown into the 20% range. I, I'm, it finds me hard, I find hard to believe why 15% isn't still acceptable, but um, servers are not the most overpaid people on the planet, so good service is worth something. Poor or mediocre service is not. So have you run into this yet, Tom? I have. Not a lot. A lot of times it's the screen is uh, they're looking at the backside of it. But I have run across it a few times. It does make me very uncomfortable uh, for to have to them to right there see what I have chosen and uh, the decision I have made. But here again, like you, Mark, I just go, you know what? I'm going to tip what I'm going to tip. And and so be it. Reading on some of the online uh, feedback from this. Um, the general expression seems to be, you know what, tip what you feel you would have tipped under any circumstance. Hand it back to the server, look them right in the eye and smile at them. No matter what gratuity that you have extended, you are not under any obligation to extend any gratuity whatsoever. And that you shouldn't feel guilty about tipping 15 or 18 percent or I'm a guy who doesn't tip on tax. So I compute the bill. what it was before the tax and tip 20% if the service was good. Um, That really means a net of about 18% of the total if the server is looking at it that way. Here's another person who says, I tip five bucks, period, per person. He said a $20 meal or a $50 meal both take the same time and amount of effort to deliver and paying a living wage to anyone is not my problem or responsibility. Um, Another uh, online person wrote, it's 100% extortion. Um, And speaking briefly to somebody who worked for Toast, who I happen to know, I asked them whether or not this was intended to be um, intended to put the customer on the spot. Um, The gal just smiled at me and said, what do you think? Hmm. And that told me that, indeed, it was designed to put people on the spot. Anyways, if you run into this in the restaurant, my my suggestion to you is tip what you were intending to tip, whether the server is standing there or not. Thanks for coming along. It's Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano. We are the Travel and Entertainment Guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Hope you're doing well. I'm here uh, in my studio in Rancho Cordova, and Mark is at his studio, which is a nice little hotel room in Kauai, Hawaii. Mark, you got nice accommodations there, huh? I do. I do. We're, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're at the Kauai Shores Hotel, which is kind of a older boutique hotel. It has fixed itself up right nicely, has a very nice restaurant and a great location here just down the street from the uh, uh, from the coconut marketplace. So folks who have been to Kauai probably recognize that landmark. It's been here for a long, long time. Well, all right, let's move on to uh, our next uh, next topic at hand, and that is that we're going to discuss carry-on bags on flights. We alluded to it at the beginning of the program. 
talked about it before. You know, the question is, you know, airlines, uh, could they be lying to you about availability of space on board to get you to check your bag? You get ready to check on a plane. Uh, you have uh, stuff that you're, you're carrying on. And, and now all of a sudden they say, hey, look, uh, we, we really aren't going to have enough room in the overheads here. And uh, we need for you to check that bag. And we need for you to pay for that check bag. What's your take on all of this? Well, usually if you get to the gate, they're, they're not going to charge you for the check bag. But it's, it's interesting how they, before they even start boarding the aircraft, they'll say, well, we're going to need to check about 35 bags. And so this is what we're going to do. And we need you folks to help us by coming up and we'll allow you to board a group earlier or we won't charge you for this check bag if you'll be willing to do it. And it, sometimes this happens on flights that aren't even full. Oftentimes, passengers get on the plane. Um, you know, they're be- boarding deep in the boarding process. So most people are already on board. They get on the plane and find that the overhead space is wide open. And which causes people to say, wait a minute. Um, they didn't check that many bags, surely. Why are they doing this? What, what, what? This doesn't make any. Why would they lie to us um, in order to get us to check a bag? A carry-on bag. So now I have to go, of course, down to baggage claim and wait for the bag to come up at the end of the flight. And so, and, and the argument, as we've said on this program before, is whether the bag's in the overhead or in the baggage storage underneath, it's the same amount of weight on the plane. There are some people who counter that, um, uh, aviation people who counter that there are weight and balance issues, and I, I don't deny that. But I watch the things that people carry on board and stuff into the overhead and it's the size of the suitcases. It's like, how did you get that past the gate person? Why did they not say, you know, you've got a steamer trunk there and you can't take that on board. You're going to take up the overhead space for two or three people. And that's just not fair. Um, so why would the airlines be doing that? Um, is it an on time issue? Some say if they check they gate check a bunch of bags, then the boarding process goes quicker and they don't have that situation at the end. We've all seen this where they run out of space and somebody's in the, in the back of the, you know, they've gone all the way to the back of the plane to try to find place for their bag and they can't find it. Now they have to fight their way all the way back up to the front and the bag has to get a tag put on it and get into the air bottom of the aircraft. And that could cause a flight to be late by five or 10 minutes, which certainly isn't going to make anybody else on board happy, the airline happy, the pilots happy or anybody else. But are we have we gotten to the point where we have to lie to people about space availability on the planes? And it does it not seem to you, Tom, that if they just enforce the carry on bag policy. Now, if you're flying with Frontier or Spirit, I mean, they're practically there with with guards at the at the gate to make sure that you don't get away with bringing something on board that you were supposed to pay for. Um, it strikes me that if United Delta front uh, uh, Southwest and American would just enforce and say, look, you know, that put that in the sizer. It doesn't fit. Then you don't get to carry it on board. You know, I mean, or you've got three pieces of carry-on luggage. So if it becomes two, you're in good shape. If it doesn't, then a tag goes on one of them. So, so what's your take, Mark? And with the simple question, why don't airlines enforce carry-on rules uh, across the system uh, as they I believe they once did. Uh, so what has changed? Why are they not I, doing it now? For the life of me, I can't figure this one out. And and now we report this week that United and American are raising their baggage fees. So if you raise them five bucks each way, that's 10 bucks 
round trip. So you're, what you're doing is uh, giving people an incentive to bring their stuff on board if it's marginal. Because after all, um, I'm going to save 80 bucks round trip for one bag. That's a reasonable chunk of money. I could buy a pretty nice dinner for one person or maybe even two for 80 bucks. So I, I, it, it feels like the airlines are telling you, you know, you're, we're not going to have room for your bag. Oh, my God, you're going to have to check it. Yet they turn a, bl- turn a blind eye to people who are carrying massive suitcases on board or who are clearly violating carry-on rules. And so out of one side of their mouth, they're saying one thing. While out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying nothing. And it just strikes me. I mean, it just aggravates the bejesus out of me because oftentimes – I'm traveling with a tour group, and these people are wondering now, do I need to go up and check this carry-on bag? And I look at them and say, you know, your carry-on bag is well within the the rules Mm -hmm. in terms of size. Um, No, there's no reason you should have to check this bag. So it, it, it... I don't know why. Out of one side, it looks like they want you to check bags because that helps them be on time, and yet they put blinders on when you're getting on the plane because that... It, which only causes the problem that they were they said they were trying to avoid. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah well, it, yes and no. It, the problem is, is it doesn't make any sense. I guess we're going to have to get a uh, somebody from the airlines. Uh, I don't know. The TSA really can't answer this. This isn't their problem. Uh, they don't they don't involve themselves in that. Uh, we're just going to have to dig a little deeper. Uh, gosh, if you're listening to the travel guys and you're in the airline industry and you have you have the answer for the travel guys, you can send it to us at travelguysradio.com and uh, we'll share it here on this program, which reminds me in our final segment coming up, we're going to do the travel guys mailbag. That's where your questions come in and that gives us an opportunity to uh, answer them for you either by email or uh, like uh, like today in our final segment uh, here on the radio. I, I don't know. That's that's the only place we can get the answer. If at all. Well, and I have sent uh, inquiries off to the press relations uh, departments of all of the major carriers. Oftentimes you get no response whatsoever or a canned response. But if we get a canned one, we'll share it with you. I agree with you, Tom. It would be nice to hear um, the airlines uh, take on this, even if it's bogus just so that we would we would know what it is that they have to say or how they're responding to this. They're trying to make more revenue off of checked bags, and they're letting people carry everything in their uncle on board or, or being arbitrarily, um, depending on the flight and who's working the desk and stuff like that. And of course, then you've got Frontier Airlines, where they have admitted that their staff makes a $10 commission every time they catch somebody with a bag that doesn't fit in the sizer and they are forced to check it at the gate, the gate agent is incentivized because they make a little money off of it if they catch you. May I suggest to United, American, and Delta, and perhaps Southwest, that you tell people that, you know, if you've got more than this, you're going to have to check it, or there's going to be a sizable fee and incentivize your employees, and maybe that'll solve the problem. It's just the mess. It's a mess of the airline's own creating, and out of one side of their mouth, they're saying, you know, don't bring these carry-on bags. And out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying, pay more for luggage. And so do they think we're just stupid? Uh, well, I don't even want to answer that. Okay. No, no. 
Hey there, Mark and Tom, the travel and entertainment guys with you. Thanks for coming along. It's that time, as promised, time to dip into the Travel Guys mailbag and answer some of our listeners' questions. All right, Mark, you ready to get started? All set. Okay, here we go. Uh, first, uh, first question is, is it true if I buy a ticket on Frontier Airlines over the phone, the ticket costs more? I've always wondered that. Sometimes I think it uh, it could cost less because they're going to find you the... The lowest price. What's the answer? At Frontier Airlines, you pay for everything, including customer service over the telephone. Oh, my. So if you want to, their website is a little bit nebulous, and I confess I didn't call them, and I probably should, um, just to have the experience myself. But on the website, it makes it very clear that if you buy a ticket, if you talk to an agent and the agent sells you a ticket, there is a service charge of 25 or $35 added to the price of that ticket. I can't decipher whether or not you can call Frontier and ask a question for free, but 25 or $35 if you want to buy a ticket. So, yes, the answer is if you buy a Frontier Airlines ticket over the phone and you use an agent to assist you, then you are going to pay that fee. At Frontier, you pay for everything. <laughs> so that's just the way an ultra, what we call an ultra-low-cost carrier works. Frontier and Spirit and Allegiant fit into that category currently, and the way they make their money is by enticing you with an extremely low ticket price and then adding fees and service charges and costs for doing just about everything. They haven't started charging for the John on board the plane yet, but I'm sure that they've sat down and thought about it. You know, uh, I'm hoping that when you call that at the very beginning of the conversation that they uh, alert you to the fact that there will be a a price for a booking a ticket by way of uh, this phone call, but I, I wouldn't count on it. All right, let's uh, check into the mailbag and grab our next question. And, it, uh, and this is it. I heard you guys talking about parking rates at hotels recently. The San Diego area hotel, and I won't name it, this uh, particular listener said, uh, they, they're charging 75 bucks a night to park your car. And it's not valet service, he pointed out. Uh, I found a local city lot that had security, and it was $30 for overnight. 75 seems more than a bit ridiculous. Yeah, not to mention the, uh, the rumor that some hotels have added a parking fee, whether or not you park the car. In other words, they've rolled into their destination amenity resort fee a parking charge. Part, you know, it may be a little bit reduced parking charge or whatever, but they've rolled that in there. So now if you don't park a car, it's just like, you know, the resort fee includes fee, free bicycle rental. But if you don't want to ride the bicycle, why then, which most people I'm going to say probably do not staying at a hotel, then what value is that in there for you? So, yes, parking at hotels has exploded recently. Um, you can expect to pay 50 to $75 a night. In major cities, um, there are hotels in San Francisco that are above $75. The Marriott Marquis in New York City is $95 a night um, to park a vehicle. And heaven forbid, if you have an oversized vehicle, you know, a large truck or something like that, then you're going to pay more than the posted rates in many cases. So um, is there a way around this? No, there really isn't. Choose suburban hotels that in many cases do not charge for uh, parking, but increasingly those bogus fees are, you know, the guys in the suburbs, uh, their 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 mouth is foaming at the idea of being able to charge for ten dollars a night for parking at their place or something like that. So they're they're constantly looking for ways to increase their revenue streams, which I think is means grab your ankles and kiss your. Never mind. Um, next question. 
Okay. Uh, Skycap pretty much went away during uh, and, and during in COVID, and it doesn't seem like they're coming back anytime soon, this listener writes. One exception is Sacramento and Southwest, which I have to say that that is my favorite way to check in at Southwest is the Skycap. It's always... It's always a shorter line. Anyway, um, they are, they're always friendly and helpful. The $2 per bag gratuity, uh, according to this listener, they feel it's well worth it. I agree. Mark? I absolutely agree. It so happens that the Skycaps at Southwest are great friends of sports leisure travelers because they assist us with check-in so we don't have to get in line. They run our boarding passes and our baggage tags and um, – We slip them a few shekels, and they take very good care of us. They are – usually there's a Southwest guy out there who is capable of helping to make – you know, if you've got some kind of a problem or something like that, you normally would have had to go inside for. So I absolutely endorse the Southwest guy caps at Sacramento Airport. Uh, It's a super simple way to – you don't have to go downstairs and then back upstairs. They can check your bag. And even if there's six or eight people in line ahead of you, it it generally goes really quickly. Those guys are professional. Also, Delta has returned a sky cap uh, to the uh, front over at the other terminal at uh, Delta Airlines. Samuel Gentleman, who's been a sky cap at the airport for a long, long time. Um, is there, and I forget the name who works with the gentleman who works with him when he's not there. But anyway, Delta Airlines has a sky cap um, outside in Terminal B. So now we've got at least a couple of airlines that have gone back to that. And yes, I often find that using those folks, even when I don't know them in other cities, um, they help me with my groups. They help me with individual check-in. Oftentimes, they can even solve little problems for you that keeps you from having to wait in a line for 20 minutes. And if you're, you know, you've cut it close to the airport. It's kind of it's a it's a definite time saver. And don't forget to flip those guys a couple bucks. Um, They're not making a tremendous um, base salary. So if they provide a service to you, why then they're then that's that's a spot where tipping a few dollars doesn't bother me at all. Mark, I have to ask if if you know this, uh, you know, the the counters inside for the the airlines or airline employees. uh, In fact, I've tried to tip them for their service and they've refused to take a tip, saying that that's just doing their job. Skycaps, who do they work for? Are they independent contractor? Which yes. Makes generally, it generally they work, oftentimes they work for a separate company. So they're they're oftentimes not employees of the airline. Not always. And I, I, I confess I don't know the situation in Sacramento. I guess I'll have to ask one of the Southwest guys next time that I'm out there. But um, no, generally they are, are independent contractors. But some of those guys have been there for a long time. So, you know, they're they've they've built up a value and a trust within their company. And um, so I, I just I, I just really endorse the use of skycaps. I, you know, I complain about having to tip and stuff all the time, but I don't mind tipping if, if I'm really getting some value out of it. And skycaps provide me value. If you just uh, tune in, we are the travel and entertainment guys, Mark and Tom, and we are uh, doing questions from the Travel Guys mailbag. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to leave us a question, if you have one, uh, simply go to TravelGuysRadio.com. Right there on the homepage, you can uh, leave your uh, leave your question, and, and we'll uh, answer it on the show, or Mark will find time to send you an email and answer it for you there. All right, here we go to our next question, Mark. Is it just my imagination, this person writes, are fewer and fewer travel companies answering their phone? 
I spent three days trying to reach Carnival Cruises to ask a couple of questions and book a cruise. Never could get them to answer or even call back after I left a message in their chat. It's okay. I found a better deal with Celebrity. <laughs> so they answered their phones. Anyway, do you have any hints at workarounds for companies that are uh, hard to reach? Don't want to answer their phones. Gosh, we should take this recording and send it to Carnival Cruise Lines and anybody else who is automated. You know what's really I find really interesting, Tom? Um, many of these companies, cruise lines in particular, um, and, and certain brands of cruise lines, Holland America would be one, appeal to an older clientele. And all of these folks who went to tickets on your phone and chat to make your reservations and all this stuff, they left a generation behind. And in some cases, that generation is an important part of their demographic. So um, people in their 70s and 80s, in many cases, have never learned to do this stuff, have no intention of learning to do it before they leave the planet. And it's not a priority to them. And it's frustrating as heck when they – and I don't know the age of this particular uh, listener who wrote in – but um, it's entirely possible that along the way they were offered the opportunity to, hey, chat with this bot or leave us a message here and we'll get back to you. Maybe they even did leave a message. Frequently, I leave messages to make group reservations for things to people's online mailboxes. Never hear from them. And so I'm not surprised um, that. But but what a gap. You have to wonder how many people are having the same experience that she's having of not being satisfied with the service or not getting any service at all and ultimately um, deciding to buy another product. Um, you ask if there are any workarounds for companies that are hard to reach. I will suggest to you that you have found one of the best workarounds ever, which is just take your business somewhere else. And then you wrote me, and now we're talking it on about on a radio broadcast that's being heard by thousands of people around the Sacramento area. So I would say that that is a, is a pretty good remedy. You've called them out. I've called them out. Um, it's likely that some other people will, will call them out, or there's somebody out there saying, yeah, I had that, that same experience. I would suggest to you try leaving a message um, if there's that opportunity, an, an email message or a, a chat message that just says specifically what it is that you're looking for. If you're looking to buy something, you know, we want this seven-night cruise that leaves uh, April the 22nd and sails to Mexico. Um, and you know, here's how you can reach me. And if you want to say, you know, I have a 24 or 48 hour window to book this, why then I don't think there's anything wrong with that either to specify that, Hey, if I don't hear back from you, I'm going to move on. So I would suggest trying to use some of the automated systems in the hope that people will actually respond to you. But of course, as, as artificial intelligence spreads throughout the travel industry and it's spreading rapidly, um, you're going to find that. More and more of these situations come up. It just saves them too much money to not have to have human beings there. So it's it's something that we're going to have to deal with. Younger travelers are going to adapt to it easier because it's something that they're that they're used to. Older travelers um, do what you can to work with the system in hope that you that they'll meet you in the middle. You know, it's interesting you say they do that so that they can save money. Well, clearly this particular uh, a listener uh, it costs them money by not answering the phone. All right, we got a, one more before we wrap it up here today. Uh, Mark, uh, our listener, writes, we're planning to do some hiking in state parks this summer. Are there fees at state parks? In California, yes, there are fees there. First of all, there are parking fees at many of the parks, and uh, where parking used to be free. And, and I have mixed feelings about that. One good thing is that, you know, if somebody's not willing to pay 5 or 10 bucks 
um, to park there for the day. Why then um, that parking space now opens up to somebody who seriously wants to use the facility. Um, There are user fees at some state parks that you have to pay. Many of them are on the honor system where there's a, a kiosk that you you know, buy your parking and your or, or pay your use fee and um, go on about your business. Of course, if you choose to, to try to circumvent the system, there's always the possibility that the ranger comes by in the middle of the day and sees what license plate numbers don't have didn't purchase parking. And then you've got an issue. So I'd be careful about trying to skirt the system there. But, um, yes, there are fees at many state parks and and parking and use fees. And what we did was we put a a link at travelguysradio.com so you can go there and find an entire list that we've linked you to the page of fees for state parks so that you can investigate on your own and find out what the fees might be at parks that you might be wishing to. You know, a lot of folks like to go out and hike for the day or something like that. So travelguysradio.com, you can find a list. All right. Well, uh, all of you, thank you for your questions. Uh, We're glad that we could help out. Well, that wraps it up, Mark. Another Travel Guys program uh, out of the way. We'll sit down and talk to you about your your Kauai trip uh, next Sunday. Absolutely. From Kauai. Remember, dance like nobody's watching. Stay well, my friends. See you next time. Travel Guys.